Welcome to another edition of Unplugged, and it comes this week with a different feel to what we had uh, last time we recorded about seven days ago, which was a season in review, club in crisis, what's going wrong, let's have a chat about uh, the direction and the recruiting and the culture and the future and everything like that, and, and they came out uh, a couple of days after we recorded that and kept Richmond to their lowest score at the MCG in 94 years, their lowest score uh, full stop in about 60-odd years belted them by 40 points and had a very enjoyable night at the footy. Of course, that is one result, one game in one season, but it is a reminder of what can happen when you do apply yourself correctly and when you do get things right. And we spoke last week about you go from feeling despondent to feeling hopeful. And I guess as it stands this week, we feel hopeful and who knows what happens come Sunday. But it does go to show, I think one thing that we were talking about last week is how quickly things can change. Where a flogging can turn into a close game, a close game can turn into a big win. Not a lot has to change at this level when the margins are so small. So a lot can be said about Richmond, obviously, out of that game, but we were far more depleted than they were. We were out of form coming in uh, and they kicked two goals against us. Um, it was a dominant display. Uh, and it did obviously clearly underline how important the Marshall-Ryder combination is. They've played together four times this year. We won three of those games and had the other one shot to bits before Marshall got hurt against Geelong uh, and probably would have won that with some conversion anyway. So it is important, uh, H. Um, yeah, different feel. That was a genuinely... We've had some big results where we won finals and things like that, but... Um, that was for a while, and given how frustrating this year has been, that was a really, a really nice Friday night. Absolutely. I mean, if someone, if you hadn't seen it, then someone said, "Oh, the score was sixty-two twenty-two, you'd be go, "Oh, yeah, good on them." Um, but <laughs> it's, it's, as you say, you just don't know what's going to happen sometimes. Dan McKenzie kicked as many goals as Richmond. <laughs> when was that ever going to happen? It's just the some of the weirdest things you've seen, and just go. It's just a crazy night, and a couple of the yeah recent games against Richmond have been very interesting results. So it's it, it teams always have these one two teams that they have interesting matches with. You look Sydney West Coast going back years ago; they were always very close games. Um, it seems to be at the moment we're getting we have a bad game against Richmond, then a good game against Richmond. It, it's toing and froing every time we play them. So it's um, yeah. It was, a very much a pleasant surprise what what they served up on Friday. It was one of those one of those strange ones, and like you said, Parco, we, we spoke last week about how quickly things can change, and you know, a week is a, a long time in footy, and anything can happen in two hours of football. You know, if if you know the, if the team applies themselves correctly, and and you know, I think that was the the biggest thing that that we wanted to see, and and we said that we wanted. We want to see these guys, no matter who's out there, no matter who they're playing, where they're playing, when they're playing, that we want to see these guys play four quarters of effort football. And that's, at this point of the season, the way 2021 has has gone for us, uh, that's that's all we want to see. And, you know, results are almost secondary at this point. Um, and they, they did that. I mean, there was a few minutes at the start that, that they kind of looked um, a, a bit slow, maybe maybe slow out the gates or, or weren't a switched on right from the beginning, but Richmond kind of dominated those first few minutes. Um, and, and potentially we were, we were probably a little bit lucky to, to, um, to even be kind of still in the game after that first five or six minutes. But following that, it was kind of, you know, a, a, a switch was flicked and, and it was like a completely different St. Kilda team. It was, you know, they ran hard, they chased, they tackled. 
Um, and, and it wasn't always about kind of dominating the numbers because we didn't, we didn't dominate the numbers or, or the stats. And, and in fact, we lost a few of the key metrics. You know, we lost um, tackles and one percenters out of those, you know, you know, there's this really special kind of effort metrics, but it was the way that we did those things. It wasn't necessarily the, the volume of that, but it was the way the continued effort, the continued energy, the intensity of the contest uh, and the way that they applied themselves throughout the course of the night. And it just wore Richmond down. It just continually, continually wore Richmond down. And, and H, you said um, during the show last week that, you know, you, you get a few things going your way and Richmond can kind of drop the bundle. They can drop their head and, and start to, you know, jump off the, off the deep end. Um, and, and we saw that almost, you know, five or six minutes in, Dunstan won a couple of clearances in a row and all of a sudden Cochin's getting frustrated. Um, you know, Rewalt misses a shot at goal or drops a mark and, and he's getting frustrated and the arms, you know, the hands are out. Um, and, you know, it was kind of like we, we kind of got a sniff and then you get, you get Brad Hill, you know, running hard and, and kicking long and, and creating scoring opportunities and, and Dan McKenzie and Ben Long pressure, you know, attack on the ball, attack on the contest. Not that they were you know, fantastic players throughout the night in terms of skill level or anything like that, but just creating a contest and creating energy and, and that sort of thing. And, and all of a sudden Jack Higgins kicks straight and Max King kicking goals from the boundary line, one on each side. And, all of a sudden things start to happen when you put yourself in that position, you, you give yourself the opportunity to start doing some good things and, and start making things happen yourself and, and, and not just wait for things to turn. And, and that's kind of what we did after the first, you know, five or six minutes is that we put ourselves in that position for good things to happen. We didn't wait for it. We didn't wait for Richmond to kind of fall off a cliff, but we did it ourselves and it was all on the back of effort and intensity and energy for the rest of the game. And, and, you know, regardless of where Richmond are as, as a team or as a club at the moment, they've won three out of four flags. They're still a top class elite football club, regardless of, of the fact that they're probably on the way down, you know, they, they're clearly not at the top of their game as they have been over the last few years. Um, this is still a really impressive, really impressive four quarters of football from us. Yeah, it was. And, and it, it's, I guess it's easy to say in, um, in hindsight I and mean, watching the game, it was still nervous, but it felt like, after the Richmond had dominated those first 10 minutes, that as soon as we kicked the first goal via McKenzie, we never looked like getting beaten from that point on. Just watching the whole game unfold, we're in control the whole way through. We kicked three before quarter time, and then two straight after the quarter time break to go five goals up again. You're like, it's a wet weather game. They haven't kicked one yet, but we obviously saw that against Adelaide. So I had the Adelaide game in the back of my head thinking, well, we lost that, and Richmond's better than Adelaide. But it, it never at any stage looked like they would get momentum and, and get on a run at all. I mean, I think Richmond were still either even money or favourites at half time. Um, and I remember thinking, it just does not look like it. Like it. I mean, you, it's the same thing when everybody's saying that Richmond can win the flag this year. You're only saying it based on history. There's, there's no exposed evidence and there was no exposed evidence to suggest they were going to overrun us. But you were still nervous just on the fact that it was them. Um, obviously, when Dunstan kicked that first goal of the second half, but... Um, it, it sort of puts your mind at ease a little bit, but the McKenzie goal on the three-quarter time siren, the, the lovely set shot from long range, um, which was via a relatively soft free kick, but they got about 12. So that was the only one that we uh, that we got. But, yeah, you kind of knew you were safe at that point, and then Severos put the uh, the full stop on it in the in the last quarter. But, yeah, it was um, it, it was bizarre. Not, not bizarre that we, we won. I think we were talking about that you could see that we might go okay. I guess it was just the magnitude of the victory that was uh, that was probably surprising to everybody. And um, 
Luke Dunstan, really interesting. He's been back in the side for maybe five weeks, and he's probably been best on ground twice um, and in the best another one or two times in that. We know he's limited with his disposal, similar to, say, a, a Seb Ross, but those conditions are made for someone like him. It's it's cold, it's it's wet, it's tight and in close with contest. It's a, it requires someone that's a bit of a bull, um, and he is that type of player. You don't have to be particularly fashionable or skillful in games like that, and yeah, he was enormous. And, and as you said, Nick, he got under the skin of Cochin and, and a few others, and, and and that was pretty evident. But yeah, if it, when it mattered most, we um we simply wanted the footy more than they did, which was surprising. It's yeah, Luke Dunstan is a really interesting one, and and yeah, I'm not sure kind of where his career goes post this year. He's out of contract at the moment, and, and there's potentially some clubs in South Australia that might be interested in, in bringing him home, but. Um, you're right in that that he's been really important for us over this kind of last month or five weeks of of football, um, and this was kind of the the archetypal Luke Dunstan game, right? I've been a, a pretty heavy critic of Luke Dunstan in the past, and and I think that was more about how we used him rather than his ability. You know, we all know he can play football. We all know he can win the ball. We all know he's he's a bit of a bull at the contest, like you said. Um, but it was more about how we use him and using him as an outside player, using him as a, a you know long kicking, um, you're trying to hit up leading forward type player, and and that's not his game. We know that he can win the football, but where we want him is in the guts, you know, winning the hard ball at the contest, being able to lay tackles, impose himself physically on the ball, on the contest and on the game. And and when he does win the ball and, and gets clearances, he's able to either you know, get the ball out quickly to someone running past who who's a more skillful kick or disposal, disposer of the ball, or he's able to kind of bash it forward and, and keep driving the ball forward. You know, not, not so much just, just kicking it long blindly, but, but able to move the ball forward efficiently. And, you know, even on the, on the, the night, you know, on Friday night, we saw his, his disposal efficiency was only around 53 or 54%. It's, it's not great. It's not ideal. But what he did when he got the ball was was at least when he, you know, was kicking long. And I think out of his thirty-two-ish touches, I think twenty of them were kicks. Um, but majority of them were kind of out of a contest, kicking long to a contest, not not trying to hit up a, a lead and missing, but kicking to a one-on-one or a two-on-two in the forward line across half forward, able. But for us to be able to bring the ball to ground or, or at least hit the contest really hard and, and impact the game that way. And that's what he, that's what he can do really well. Um, but when we, when we utilize him as a, a wingman or as an outside running type player or, you know, a halfback, even as we've seen in some cases, he just, he doesn't have that ability. That's not his game. And, and he can be a really good player at AFL level if he's used correctly. And I think we saw on Friday night, how, you know, how he should be used. As you said, it was the perfect game for him. Um, a wet, slippery night. What, what's the key to winning a game on a wet, slippery night? That's field position. He just got the ball and put it forward every time he got the ball. It's, that, that's as simple as what he probably should have been told on the night. Just get the ball forward. That's all you need to do. And, and that's basically what he did for us. There was no kicking it sideways. There was no looking for a player sort of out the back of the pack. He was He was looking forward every single time he got it. Um, I mean, the domination in the middle that we we could probably call it a domination on the night. Uh, we won, if you look at it, we won at 60, 67% of the hit outs and then 67% of the clearances in, in the match. So 
we've had the ball first 67% of the time in the game. And he had 11 they, of those clearances. And he got 11 of them, exactly. Yeah, um, out of and, 40 or whatever it was, he had 11. Yeah, 40, uh, 42, I think we got. So um, it's numbers that you go, these are fantastic numbers. Um, like a few of those clearances are probably out for the back line because um, I think they've, the 50s ended up being, I think Richmond had one more. Um, so to beat them in that situation as well, that there you're looking and going, our, we had the better finishing rate. We had the better just using the ball better on the night. And um, you're talking about the getting the, how I was mentioning about the frust, getting them frustrated and that sort of thing. You, Mason, uh, Mason uh, Woods goal. Yeah. You saw him after they, after we kicked that goal, they started the fight. They, they were in for a fight at that point. So they were going, we've got them here. I think they've started the break. If, if that, had, that goal had been the one at the start of the third quarter, not the end of the second, I think we might have gone on a bit of a bigger run than what we actually had. Yeah, that, that felt like the elastic band a little bit where we'd scrambled four goals. We were controlling, as you say, field position clearances, getting first hands on it. So the ball was the game was getting played on our terms. But that was we just kicked one. We had a decisive ruck tap to steal with a clean clearance. And then the goal was far too easy where Max King picked it up, walked through two players, handed it off to Wood, who ran into an open goal. And that was the point where I'm watching the game thinking, geez, they've given that one up a bit too a bit too soft. And then they're starting to sort of snipe around. And you're like, well, at that point, because your brain's been burnt so many times, I'm sitting there thinking, geez, they better not lose this. Like they're in complete control of this game. And um, I think I sort of tweeted something to, to that effect. But um, yeah, I had a lot of people talking, as is the want, saying, oh, you're even more frustrated now that you lost to Adelaide and Sydney. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, not, not so much more because they were pretty frustrating. But Part of me in my brain thinks we might not have got that response had that mm. not have happened, if that makes sense. It might have been a bit of a turning point. There was the kick in the backside that led to it, and we might not have won that game. So it's impossible to say. Um, clearly, the Adelaide and Sydney losses have made it hard for us to redeem ourselves, but maybe that was the catalyst to, to get what we got out of that uh, out of that Richmond game. Votes, I imagine, will be fairly consistent Nick, across most of us, uh, obviously Luke Dunstan won the Ian Stewart medal um, as a judge by a, a number of people. Um, how, did, how did you see it? Um, yeah, I've got some honourable mentions I wanted to touch on first, and, and there are some obvious ones in, in Paddy Ryder, um, Rouch and, and Wilkie, and then some, I guess, less heralded guys in, in Tommy Highmore, Josh Battle, Jimmy Webster, Dan McKenzie and Ben Long, as, as we've spoken about. I think all played really important roles. Um, in this game, I gave one vote to Dougal Howard, 21 touches, uh, nine marks, 10 intercepts and played 100% of the game at fullback, did a really, really, really strong, solid job on, uh, on Jack Rewalt and, and whoever went forward for, for Richmond and, and was barely beaten over the course of the night. I think Rewalt took a couple of grabs, but I don't think he took any on Dougal Howard. I think he had one over Jack Sinclair in the first quarter. Um, and there are a couple kind of leading chess marks, but I don't think I don't think Dougal Howard was on, was on him uh, for any of those. Uh, and, and I thought he was very close to uh, best on ground. Uh, two votes goes to Jack Steele just because he's Jack Steele and he doesn't do anything wrong and he just deserves votes every week. 25 touches, nine tackles, nine clearances is a, is a pretty strong display. And then, like you said, uh, in Stuart medalist, Luke Dunstan, 32 touches, uh, nine inside 50s, 11 clearances, six score involvements, 670-odd metres gained and a goal is, uh, is a pretty impressive 
stat line. Um, he, like we said, his disposal efficiency is never going to be, you know, 80, 80% plus, but it's what he does. It's how he wins the ball. And then what he does with it in, in terms of his effectiveness, regardless of efficiency. And, and he was very effective. I had the same um, three. I had the similar or same top two, but uh, I gave an apology to Howe and an apology to both Ruckman. Um, I thought even guys like Battle and Crouch were good, but I gave one vote to Sinclair. Um, thought he's he's been outstanding this year. He's been our top three or four players over the course of the season. Uses the ball really well. Steady head. My knock on him two or three years ago when he started to spend more time around the middle was he doesn't get enough of the footy. thought he was very neat when he had it, good user and, and tidy and made good decisions, but he'd get it 15 or 16 times a game. Now he's getting it 25, 26 times a game and really adding that to his bow. So you want him getting the footy. If you want 20, you want 26 Jack Sinclair possessions generally. Um, so I gave him one vote, two to, to Steele, who um, yeah, was outstanding again, and, um, and three to Luke Dunstan, who I thought was the other most influential player on the ground, Hatch. And I've gone the same way as you have. Again, apology to Howard, apology to Webster. The back line worked, worked as one on, on the weekend. I think I gave it to Sinclair for the fact that he found himself in some really tight positions at times, and he got out of them, and he just made it look reasonably easy. And he used the ball well when he was getting out of there as well. It wasn't just a kick and hope. He was getting out of the packs and finding a target. It, it, his movement out of the back line and finding the target up the field was magnificent. So I gave him the one, two to steal, as everything mentioned before, and three to Dunstan, clearly best on ground. And just the goal to seal it was uh, his best on ground was, was a great goal on the opposite foot. Yeah, it was, and um, obviously Ben Ben Long. Even a lot of the guys that have been maligned. I mean, uh, Josh Battle had it twenty-one times. Um, ben Long kicked a crucial goal, had five score involvements, um, and, and players like that. Even Butler, I thought, who didn't hit the scoreboard, I thought his pressure was really good. Uh, Higgins did some steady things without getting as much of it as he has in recent weeks. Thought even Hill was was tidy enough without getting a stack of it. So. And all of that losing Jack Billings before the game started. Um, Leo Connolly, I guess just a word on the, the debutant because we didn't expect that. Um, uh, he's from Traff High down in my old my old high school, which I didn't actually know. I knew he was from down my way, but didn't know he actually went to the same school until uh, until someone texted me that during the game. But um, yeah, he had 11 possessions in less than half a game and took seven marks. Um, yeah, before the game, he would have been ready to take his position in the stands. Uh, then they said, oh, actually, uh, Billings is out, so we've got to pick Caulfield, so we need you to be the sub. And then Caulfield gets injured. So a quirk of quirk of trivia that Nick Caulfield is named as the injury sub and then goes off for the injury sub in the match. Uh, but, yeah, Leo Connolly, I think, gets a, a really good tick for that, and I would hope they pick him this week. I think so. I think so. Showed a bit yeah. of dash. Showed a bit of dash. Was hard at the ball, hard at the man. Um you know, like you said, 11 touches in about 30-odd minutes or something like that was was impressive. And, and he showed that he can, he, you know, he can compete at the level. I think that was the, that was the one question mark we had on him. He's, he's been pretty good at VFL level through the course of the, the year. And um, he's, got, he's got a bit of a skill set that we lack in terms of speed and, and ability to deliver the ball and, and that sort of stuff. So I think, you know, we'd been talking about potentially bringing him in for a couple of these games that might not matter anymore. Um, you know, if we're talking about giving up on on finals, um, and he kind of showed showed what he can do. I, I hope he gets another another crack. He showed to be a clean user user of the ball, which is something that we look and go and oh, is actually 
could be useful for us here. It's a nice, clean, simple kicking style, and it, and it was hitting the targets every time. So if we can bring some of these younger players through and they can chase consistency, that's what we can start building off even more. We bringing them through and giving them the time. And I mean, as you say, it was only 30% game time, but geez, it felt like he was out there a lot longer than what he was. It's interesting. Yeah, we, it we talk about our, our recruiting issues over the, over the journey. And we probably don't need to touch on that too much, but um, you look at some of the, the young kids that have come through and, and are continuing to come through, you know, Bytel has shown that he belongs at the level. Ryan Burns is getting stronger and quicker and, and better every week. And, and Leo Connolly um, last week, you know, these guys were not top 10 picks. You know, they were not first rounders. They're, they're second rounders, third rounders, that sort of, that sort of type pick. And, um, you know, you only need a couple of those to, to kind of hit and, and you're doing a really good job at, at recruiting level. So, um, you know, I think on some of these guys, we, we've got to start giving our, our recruiting team some credit for, for some of these guys because they cop a lot of flack and, and potentially rightfully so on some of the misses that, you know, every team has misses at, at draft level and recruitment level. But, you know, these three guys look to be, look to be pretty solid ticks at the moment. Cool. And um, just as a side note too, I was talking to a journalist that specializes in a lot of that recruiting about on just doing a game of Rabin on Saturday. And he was talking about obviously the success stories of drafting Marshall and obviously going back in the draft, but still getting Gresham um, and deserving to get a pat on the back at that. And he also, um, Told a little secret which people might not to actually uh, actually know or sprout when they talk about it. Uh, that's in the Jack Billings conversation, and he said, "Oh, sorry to let everybody in on a little secret, but the Western Bulldogs would have taken Jack Billings had he have been available, even if Bontempelli was available." So it wasn't a stroke of genius; it was probably a stroke of good fortune. But um, yeah, uh, they, they weren't alone certainly in that thought. And Billings has been a uh, a very solid servant who I think unfairly cops that far too often when um when we get even I think Robbo tried to tie bloody Aaron Norton into that conversation this week despite every club <laughs> in the comp missing out on that. We we yeah. spoke a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember when it was, we spoke about that that Billings selection and, and yeah, I think what people forget is that Jack Billings was a consensus top three mm. in that in that draft year and, and for most of the year was being spoken about as a potential number one pick for that season and for probably 18 months before that. So, you know, he, this, this was not a surprise that he went pick three and Bontepelli for most of the year was a draft bolter. Like he wasn't even really considered a, a top 10 pick until draft night. Um, and the fact that he was taken at four was a huge reach and, and was seen as such on draft night. So, you know, it's a it's, it's really easy in hindsight to say, you know, we stuffed up there, but Jack Billings was always going top three. Yeah, he was for sure. And um, a guy that didn't go top three in any draft, but was a very reliable servant of a number of, of two clubs in particular, played for, for three, but found his feet at his second home, which was us. That is Zach Dawes. had a lot of it. Fisher got it from Montaigne. And now Hayes. Hayes has kicks a good one. It's over the top. Schneider's on there. Now he's going to hold it up. Waiting for some troops to get back. And Dawson. Little things. Yeah, yeah. He just bumped, he bumped uh, into Jamison and Jamison went to ground, which enabled Dawson to get 20 metres clear. 
He's only kicked one goal in his career. Yes, yes I don't think he's got the uh, refined goal-kicking action. But he's in the right spot. This is where they've been kicking their goals in the last quarter. And he's feeling pretty good about his footy the last couple of months. What an unlikely goal-kicking hero he'll turn out to be if it goes through. Never, ever going to miss. Hasn't a uh, few years in a change of Guernsey done a lot for uh, Zach Dawson. He uh, has found himself a place in this St Kilda defence in this uh, what might well be a 12-game winning run and just uh, has to spend much time forward 50, but he finished. Our next guest on Unplugged is Zach Dawson, played for the Saints through the Halcyon period of 2009 to 2011. Back-to-back grand finals, or effectively three grand finals over a two-year period, came from the Hawks, where he spent five years in the system there and then went on to Fremantle and played in another grand final in 2013 during uh, what was a good period for that football club under Ross Lyon. Zach, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it, boys. Thanks for having me. Now, um... I guess we'll go back to, to sort of where it all began. Obviously, you came via the, the call to cannons. Can you sort of take us through how you arrived at, at Hawthorne and, and what those early days were, were like? I know we focus mainly on the Saints, but obviously your journey that eventually led you to us. You, you got to Hawthorne at a time that, that wasn't great for them, but it wasn't long until they were on the right path. Yeah, look, at my, my first five years of footy was um, chalk and cheese in comparison uh, to the last the last nine years. Um, came from, grew up in Mooney Ponds, Essendon area, went to Essendon Grammar, played most of my school, um, most of my footy at school, footy at, at Penley and Essendon Grammar um, and split time between there and Calder Cannons um, and got drafted as a, a 17 year old. Back then you were able to get drafted as a, a bottom major. So I was, um, <clears throat> I was under 80 kilos when I got drafted Um ringing wet that was probably putting a few kilos on on what I actually really weighed um and <clears throat> was just a, a really um kind of aggressive ruckman at that time I was you know back in those days 198 centimeters was um you know Goodsey was rucking at that point Jason Blake was doing a bit of rucket but so it was it was almost like a, a they were looking for the ruckman at that size um and so I got drafted as a ruckman forward um out of school and, and colder um, after a big year, we won the flag at, at under 18 level and um, got drafted to the club. I supported as a kid. So I, I ended up living, living every kid's um, dream, getting drafted to the, the, the club that they supported and um, yeah, walking into the change rooms with the heroes that you, you, you grew up supporting like Shane Crawford and John Barker and shared a locker next to him, um, uh, which was, is, pretty a big eye-opener um, from, right from the beginning. But um, looking back on it, 17 it was just such an immature age for me. Like walking into a club, um, there wasn't much expectation on the early days, but walking into a club um, at 17, um, unless you're, you're mentally prepared, it, it, it takes a lot to kind of you know, really um, grow up. Um, and, and back in those days, leadership groups and all that sort of thing weren't as massive. And so you were kind of left to your own device for the first little bit to try and grow up yourself. And um, 
yeah, I'd probably look back and say my first five years, I probably wasn't at the level um, required, um, whether it was whether I believed in myself enough, whether it was I just, um, I thought I was working hard, but I wasn't. Um, and um, yeah, it was, it, in saying that, it, it was an enjoyable period and it was I learned more probably in that five years than the other, the, the remaining nine. So um, it was pretty special. Zach, you had some pretty well-documented um, I guess struggles through those first couple of years at Hawthorne. Obviously, some some big games with uh, Anthony Rocker and Nathan Thompson, and yeah. then you go back to to the VFL with Box Hill, and and you kick bags of you know four or eight and and whatever in the VFL. Was that was that a, a really difficult period for you? And and how did you deal with that kind of the external noise? Yeah, it was difficult because um, yeah, as I said, I got drafted as a forward and a ruckman. Um, I was kind of yeah, brought in and played at that stage. Stage I played. Reserves, reserves. Um, so the twos, twos. Um, as a forward, I think I won best and fairest goal kicking for the first two years, and then it was. I think it was the last game of the year of my third year, um, or maybe it might have been the end, last of my second year, that I played one game at fullback. I played on Sav Rocker, and um, it's funny that Anthony Rocker was where I had my had my worst day, but I played on Sav Rocker and he kicked eight on me, and I was like, God, I'm not playing fullback ever again, you know. And so um, I thought it was just going to be a one off, but then due to injury, and I think Jonathan Hay um, was going through some struggles at that point, um, and so I trained the whole preseason as a backman, um, and then ended up, um, yeah, got a got a crack at it um, by the end of that next season, um, and played I think the last game of the year. Um, and was playing pretty solid footy, and then yeah, into the next year as a you know I played the first twelve games. Um, yeah, as you said, and had some pretty pretty tough times. Um, just because it, as a youngster in in a different game back then, it was you know very one on one orientated. You're playing on the big hulking forwards. Um, I think I played my first few games. It was Richo, Matthew Stafford, Barry Hall, uh, Nathan Thompson, Matthew Lloyd, Favola. Um, you know, guys, small, small you, guys, yeah, just guys that you just, yeah, <laughs> pretty good. And so, um, and, and for me, I was still learning and I was, I was still very, very raw, um, as a prospect, as a backman, um, and kind of got thrown into that. Um, and as you said, Hawthorne weren't going that well at that point. And so, um, I kind of was left to, you know, grow up pretty quickly, um, and go through some pretty, um, horrendous sort of things as a young kid should have to go through. Um, and as some would know that next two seasons with Hawthorne, you didn't end up playing any matches for him and obviously playing a bit of VFL or as VFL reserves, as you were saying as well, that sort of thing. And did you know that maybe the cl- uh, secure was looking at you while you're playing the VFL a little bit or did anyone no, approach not- you? Not at all. I, I, I played those my, my last two years. Um, I started to play quite consistent, good VFL footy. Um, and um, it was just uh, sometimes it comes down to a lot of luck and a lot of opportunity. Um, and at that point, um, well, by 2008, they won the grand final. So 2007, 2008, the back line was, was locked in. There was hardly any injuries. There was a lot of continuity. And I, there was just no opportunity for me. And so I was even though I was playing good footy, um, it was just, um, it wasn't there. And so I wasn't able to um, get in there and prove myself again. And so after, yeah, two years in the wilderness, the club kind of just had to say, well, you know, we'll just have to make a call. And 
and probably at that looking back it was probably the right call that they made because after two years of, of going through that kind of torment during that, that little patch uh, when I was playing um, the mental side of things really caught up with me by the end it was really it was really hard to get myself going going to grounds and going to the VFL and getting absolutely heckled and, and violated you know, verbally every week by supporters, my own supporters, you know, from living through, um, living, reliving, having to relive those couple of games where I got, you know, um, manhandled, you know, and it was like, I, I started to question why, why would I want to play footy anymore? Why, why am I doing this? You know, I'm meant to be <laughs> living my dream and I'm sitting here in the VFL just absolutely copying it every single week when I go out, when I go out in the town, when I go out with the boys, and it's just like, what, what's going on here? And so by the end of the fifth year, like I was just mentally worn down. And so um, when it got to that point um, that I was delisted, I, it was almost a, a, a sense of relief um, at that point. So, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's weird. As weird as it sounds, like it, it was really like a, a pressure release at that point. Um, and that's how bad it had gotten. Um, and, and so it was a real turning point. I think that's a massive eye-opener for, for people as well. You know, when people make their comments on social media or they go to the footy and yell over the fence that you are talking to, to real people. It, it's remarkable how quickly that changed for you. I mean, you not taken in the national draft. You go in the rookie draft to St Kilda at, at pick 13 and then you play round one and you effectively play every game. I think you missed two through suspension, but basically yeah. from start all the way through in that first year, your, your first game for the Saints is against Sydney. We don't lose until obviously round 20 of, of that particular season. So mm. can you take us through that transformation from basically rock bottom after Hawthorne, getting the call from the Saints and then basically not looking back as a, as a defender the whole way through? Yeah, it was definitely a sliding doors moment in my life. Um, as you said, like I was, I was ready to move on. I was ready to, to focus on a much more positive part of my life because I've always studied. I've always had a passion um, to you know, improve myself off field. So I was always studying the whole time. So I was ready to kind of go, all right, well, let's get back to uni. Let's, get, let's graduate. Let's you know, finish my degree. Start feeling good about myself because your know, footy wasn't giving me that uh, satisfaction anymore. And so I was comfortable with that decision. I was disappointed, but I was comfortable that it was probably the best thing for my mental state at that time. Um, and had signed up back in the uni, re-enrolled and was ready to go and then got a phone call, you know, of a random number one day. And, up, and it was Ross. And I picked up the phone and I was like, um, yeah, pretty much what do you, what do you want? Uh, I had no idea why I'd be ringing. And I was like, he's like, oh, um, Steve Silvani and I have been um, having discussions and we, we want to bring you in and have a chat and see where your head's at and um, what you're thinking and whether you'd be interested in playing footy next year. And I, in no uncertain terms, I pretty much said, no, I'm not uh, interested anymore. Um, I'm kind of got to the point where I'd, I'm mentally checked out. And I think he was a bit like taken aback that I was saying no. Um, but left it at that. And he's like, well, he goes, how about um, I'll call you back in a week's time, speak to mum and dad, and um, I'll give you a call in a week and just see where you're at. He goes, but the offer's there and, and we want to, you know, we think there's something there and um, left it with me. And so I kind of then had a decision to make again. And I was like, well, do I want to, Go back into yeah you know, as a rookie back then there was no guarantees to play so you're sitting behind you know the senior list and you have, the only way you can play is through long term injury so I could have just been submitting myself to another year of um, you know, just not playing and yeah you know, uncertainty and yeah you know, wasting 
not finishing my degree and not me getting on to that next chapter. So that was where, yeah, as I said, it was a, a sliding doors moment to go, well, what do I want to, what do I want to do? And yeah, mum and dad were probably the big ones in saying like, you know, in 20 years time, you all, if you don't say yes to this, you're always going to be one of those guys sitting in the pub or, you know, having a meal with the boys saying, yeah, I could have been this and I could have tried this if I had of, if I had have just said yes, but you don't want to be that person. And so when they, when they laid it out like that, I was like, it's, it's definitely the right decision. Um, and if I don't have a crack at it, I'd be disappointed in myself um, down the track. So um, yeah, you call back a week later and I pretty much said I'm in and I'm, and from that point um, got me into the footy club um, had some pretty serious one-on-one um, meetings with him just one, just between the two of us. And it was opening up what, and he was pretty clear in making me understand why I didn't make it and why, what my deficiencies were and, and not trying to spin um, any bull crap with me and say, no, this is where you went wrong and this is what you need to understand. And this is where you have to get better. And so really clear on where my growth areas were, which is, what I probably needed and to have the raw truth hit home um, right from the beginning. And I think when I opened right up to him and told him everything, I think he was a bit taken aback, like, you know, well, I'm fully invested. I'm willing to tell you everything. There's no, there's no BS with me. There's no lies, um, which he would have known because I've probably overindulged. Um, And from that point, that's probably why we still have a good relationship now is that, I was always completely transparent with him the whole way through. And, um, and then as, as you said, like I, I went into that, that preseason really focused on just building my body, being positive um, and just having a real crack at throw at the stumps. And so I went back and you know, trained hard, put on a fair bit of size over that summer. Um, and then um, went into preseason feeling really good, played quite well in the preseason games. And then the last game, I think we went to Port Adelaide and I think Max Maxi Hutchinson did his uh did his calf in that last game. It was like a pretty bad one. It was like an eight weeker, maybe. And the, another moment is the opportunity. It was like that's the moment where things changed and um got the call up, played round one, and as you said, the rest is history. We we kind of went on a really serious run and um I felt like I had a a lot of um, impact in terms of coming from Hawthorne at that point, bringing across their defensive structure. Um, I felt really comfortable in helping Ross implement his. Um, and so at that point, our defensive system was as good as anyone's. And so I think that's what really helped integrate me really quickly. At, at the end of that year, obviously St Kilda played Collingwood in, in a calling, qualifying final. And you got, I guess, a bit of a chance at, at revenge on, Anthony Rocker, and I think you, you probably kept him to five or six touches and, and just, you know, one or two goals. Was, was there a moment during that season or that game or, or over that period that you kind of felt like you finally, you know, you were vindicated in, in making that decision? You were finally comfortable at, at the level? Um, I'd like to say yes, but probably not. I, I don't think I ever felt comfortable for one game in my career. I always felt like um, I didn't want to let myself feel comfortable, but I also never... Um, I always knew that there was areas for growth and I always knew my deficiencies as a player. So I, I just focused on really making sure that I was the best teammate as I could be um, and supporting the guys around me and trying to make my best, my teammates the best player on the ground every week. And that was my main focus every single week. And I think that's what really helped me stay in the team and, and form a really close bond with the guys I was playing with. But 
yeah, moments like that when I, when you get a little bit of redemption on guys that, as especially as a fullback, guys that may have beaten you in the past, uh, Steve Silvani was really, really big on that, like not letting him beat you two times in a row, not letting him beat you the same way, um, learning your lessons and growing. And so those moments were really important that, you know, to feel like you were growing, that, you know, someone kicks three or four on you the next week or the next time you play them, you make sure that it's one or two, you know, whatever it is, just make sure you're having little wins along the way. Um, but he was yeah, as good as he was. Like he was really big um, in terms of really shaping my mental state um, in those first few years. Speaking of kicking goals, who, as you said, you're recruited as a forward Ruckman and didn't kick a lot of goals yourself in over your career, but you had one particular Monday night early, mm. early on for the club that you've, Snuck down the forward line and managed to kick the sealer. Yeah. Um, what was his rage behind leaving the back line and going hey, uh, and sneaking down and pinching um, the win for us? I think it was um, at that at that point Carlton were were quite a small team, a small forward line, and um, I think they they'd gone really small to try and um, to try and use that to their advantage at that point because I think we had a pretty tall back line with Chips and, and Blakey and myself and um, and we got to the last quarter and um, Rossi, I got the message and Rossi decided he wanted to swing me forward and try and pinch hit um, and because yeah, I, I, re- I think I really enjoyed when we do train together with the forwards and the backs or if we were to, as the backs and you pretend to be a forward I used to love being able to play as a forward just for, yeah, for 20 seconds, you know, and kick a goal on Blakey or kick a goal on Gilbo. Like that was get a lot of pleasure out of it. And so um, Rossi knew that and he knew that I was, yeah, and got drafted as a forward there, had a history there. And um, he, you know, got the call to go down there and um, just try and make a contest and try and um, make something happen. And um, just, just happened to, you know, I literally went to push. I was playing on Michael Jamison, who was a really good defender at the time, and um, he wasn't really expecting it. And I gave him a real big push in the chest, and he's kind of slipped on, slipped on his back foot, slipped over, and left me, you know, ten meters clear. I think Snides, I think it might have been Snides or Mini, um, hit me right on the tit about forty out, and um, never looked like missing at that point. Wobbled it through. No, that was one of my. I knew straight away that was one of the ones that I kicked, and I'm like, yep, that was that was done. That was in. Um, so underrated, I, game of, underrated game of footy too. It's actually all on YouTube. It's one of the best games. Yeah, it was a great game, game, game against Carlton. It was a, a belter. But uh, that grand final that year, we, we've asked a lot of questions about the, the game. I guess um, that there's a key moment that everybody knows about where um, you were obviously millimetres off being one of the great heroes with a, a tremendous intercept. And if not for the toe poke, obviously, uh, it would have turned out that way. But mm. on a side note, how crook were you before that game? As I understand it, you'd, uh, you'd been quite under the weather leading into that game. Yeah, I was yeah, I was in a really bad way actually. Um the night before the afternoon and the night before in the morning. Um I hadn't eaten a thing since lunch the day before at the parade. Um wasn't able to keep anything down, um, fluids or or solids. Um was on the drip the night before, um, up until midnight, got up at six in the morning at the club again till nine and then at the ground. Um so I was really touch and go whether I was actually going to play or not. And um, you had a pretty serious combo with Ross right before the game. <laughs> he pretty much said, you know, make the right effing decision because um, this is going to, you know, make or break a friendship if you don't. Um, so 
if I wasn't feeling shit before that, I was feeling pretty nervous after that um, to make sure. <laughs> but in saying that, once I went and warmed up on the field and I kind of got that adrenaline, and it, yeah, I didn't really think about it and it didn't really hit me until probably three days into drinking after the game. probably helped the guts yeah well it was yeah well it wasn't ideal but um yeah it was it was i was in a pretty bad way but to be honest i didn't really feel it too much during the game um as weird as it is like you you think that if you had no fuel in your body but sometimes your body just finds a way and there's more ross would always say you've got more to give than you think so um that was uh very true that day I guess without harping too much on that that moment, which I'm sure you've spoken about, you know, endlessly over the over the last decade or so. But um, do you do you have to remind people that to even get to that point, you had to sprint, you know, forty or fifty or sixty meters, mm. kind of gut run to to get to Gary Ablett Jr. to spoil that contest, um, even before you know Scarlett even gets to the ball. Do you, do you feel like you're unfairly maligned in in that moment? Oh well, that that was what I pre- I, I was proud of more than anything um, throughout my whole career is that I was always willing to do that. Um, and sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes you don't get there sometimes, but I was always willing to help Jonesy if his man spat out and come off my man. To, and, I, and I put myself at risk to look like an idiot um, and it could have backfired, you know, but um, as I said, that defensive system um, that I was really comfortable with, I, I would always back my judgment um, to get to those sort of contests um, throughout the year and, and make sure, even if it's just making him earn a free, earn a mark or what, just getting a knee in or getting some body on them. I would always love to be able to make an impact that way. Um, and not just be a, you know, a cone, which is sitting in the middle and come off too late and let him hit it over the top or it's you just make an impact, whether you give a free kick away or whether you, you know, whatever, you just stop the momentum of the ball um, and the play at the time. And, Throughout that whole year, that was something I really um, was proud of, my growth in that area. And so I was so confident in the moment that um, I never really had an issue um, or never felt worried that I was doing the wrong thing. And I, and I, if it hadn't have been wet, um, I think, yeah, as I said, things would have been a lot different because when I got there, I knew that if I had taken the body on Gary, I would have probably given away a free kick because um, I got there just a little bit too late. And I knew that if I had to clean him up, I would have um, given away a free. So I tried to go around his body without touching him. And, and because I had to go around him, I just got a glance on that ball and I didn't get as firm a purchase on it. Um, but the decision in itself, you know, I'd do it a hundred times out of a hundred. If I had to do it again, um, as you said, you're an inch away from being a hero in a game, um, which I'm very proud of. You know, I, I took the risk um, and didn't think twice about it. So that, as, you said, as I said, like look back on those moments and, and be proud of the decision that you make, not one that you didn't make. Because if I didn't go and we lose a game, we'd be sitting here and you wouldn't know anything about it, but I would know that I didn't go for it. Um, so that's what I'm proud of. Now, we've had a number of players from that era coming on here before and giving us what they did, how they've dealt with it and everything like that. What, was there anything you took from that into the following season going, this is what I'm going to do different. This is I'm taking this and trying to make that better or I'm forgetting that, not doing that anymore. Is is anything that you changed and thought this is what's going to take? Um, Well, just going through that moment and knowing that, that I was 
in that moment and I could have made a difference and I could have won us the game and I put myself in that situation, I took a lot of confidence out of that into the next year that, you know, if that situation was there again, I'm going to make the right decision and I'm the right person. I should be on the ground. And I, I took confidence that I deserved my spot in that team because I knew that I was willing to do what it took to, you know, to make the hard decision to go, you know, when it, when I could be made to look like an idiot. So that, that was probably the one thing I took out of that game is that I, I belonged in that team because, um, as you said, I, I wasn't the, the most pretty player or um, didn't get the most super coach points or whatever, but I knew that my role in the team was just as important um, as the next person. Um, I guess from, from, from my point of view, um over your time, I think looking at the statistics, uh, I don't think you conceded more than three goals in a game at any stage in your time with mm-hmm. the Saints. So I, I guess how proud are you? I know you, you obviously went on to Fremel and had some success there as well with, with Ross. How proud are you of the transformation and also the fact that when we talk about those finals, 9, 10 and even 11, uh, everyone remembers obviously Goddard with the Mark and Lenny Hayes with the Norm Smith. And, and when people say, oh, St Kilda's finest players in those grand finals, they probably think of Hayes and Goddard. But mm. I think our best three players were Hayes, Goddard and yourself over those yeah. grand finals. You, you beat yeah. your opponent the whole way through that period. And how proud are you of that finals record and how good you were in those big games? Yeah, it was, it was something that really gave me confidence when I actually when I left Saints to go to Frio. Um, and we got into in, into the finals run at Frio. That confidence that I took from those couple of years um, was really important for me to you know, to feel um, like I had a lot of um, experience and knowledge to share in those moments. Um, because once you perform in the in the bigger moments um, in finals games, you that's when your real confidence grows as a player is it when the heat's really on and when the pressure's really on and every decision is so important. And if you're more often than not getting those decisions right and um, you're performing when the brightest lights are on, um, you're never going to gain more confidence in yourself and your own ability. And, and, and really looking back on things and, and people that still might be malign me in the way I played, I look at back on that period of my career and as you said, the record that I had in finals, and I, I've got no concern when people talk crap to me, you know, because it's like I've done it, you know, I've done, I've performed when I needed to perform. Um, I may have made a few errors and skill errors or whatever, but as a whole, I performed when it counted most. But across the kind of 2010-2011 period, there were obviously some I guess some well-documented incidents and, and I'm not sure you know, how comfortable you are talking about some of those things, but there's one that is potentially not spoken about a lot. And, that, and that's a tweet that you kind of directed at, at Robert Walls and, <laughs> and called him a sourpuss. Um, what, what's the story behind, behind that? I was just a, it was probably what, how long it was probably seven years of pent up anger um, being released. It's probably immature, um, but as you said, like going to games um, and copying it from crowd is is one thing, but then watching games back on TV and hearing commentators give it to you week in, week out, 
it, it really kind of grinds you, your gears because it's like you should understand how hard it is to play footy. You should understand the pressures that come with it. Yeah, you can sit there and go, oh, Zach, oh, Zach, and my fault, my fault. He always does that. And it's just continual. Whereas I have to hear it from my parents, my aunties and uncles, my cousins talking about Robert Walls. And I'm like, oh, I just, I've had enough. And, I, and it got to the point where... Um, yeah, I think it was like Channel 7 lost the rights of footy or something. And I was going to Bali at that point. And um, I literally sent that tweet and left to Bali that day and turned my phone off and had no idea, had no idea what had happened until two days, three days later when I turned my phone back on and I had like 80 messages from people saying, what have you done? <laughs> um, and yeah, so I literally sent it without thinking like there'd be any kickback or you know I didn't really think it was too harsh or I didn't even know if anyone read it to be honest and to think that's what happened is I look back it's pretty funny now but um yeah you just got to be careful sometimes itch your fingers <laughs> I have a two-parter so when Ross decided to leave and he was heading over to Fremantle was it early on the kind of maybe said something to you about coming and following as well or going over with him. And the second part is, um, have you moved out of his house yet or is it you still living with him? Or? <laughs> I'm in the granny flat at the moment. So um, it's, it's nice and cosy back here. No, well, it's a funny story because um, everyone thinks that I went with Ross. Um, but to be honest, Frio had um, contacted me during that year, knowing that I was out of contract and um I you know, was obviously comfortable where I was. I was really happy and content and um, finally cemented my spot in the team. And I was like, there's no way I'm going. So I just dismissed it and didn't think anything of it. Um, and then got to the end of the year, um, that year, and was looking to redo my contract and all that sort of thing. And so I um, went back into contact, uh, contract negotiations. And unfortunately, at that point, we'd gone into, uh, we'd had a lot of salary cap issues. Um, and it meant that it, it was probably six or seven players. Like I think Shawnee Dempster, me, myself, Farron. Um, I can't remember. And we were all being having to take a little bit of a, a pay cut to be able to squeeze in. And at that point, I, I played three years. And as, you, and as I mentioned before, like I thought after three years of consistent footy that this next contract was going to be my kind of make the bank, be able to set my life up, be able to buy a house and, and got to that point and it was almost the opposite. It was like, you've got to take less than you were on last year so you can stay. And I was like, like I felt like I was an important cog in the team and just wanted to feel, feel like that was being reflected in what I was going to be earning and all that sort of thing. And I really it was really struggling to understand how it got to that point. And, um, and then during all that, my manager was like, well, he goes, you know that um, Frio was still um, in the picture. Um, and I said, well, why don't we just um, speak to them and see if there's a deal and see if we can kind of use that as a bit of leverage with the Saints and say, well, you know, we have something going on. This is what I can get paid here. And that's what, that was my initial thought. And so we did that, came back and there was a deal there. Um, they didn't talk about numbers. Um, they said it was going to be yeah, pretty decent and we'd be able to do two, three or four years. And so I went back with that and I think they might have thought I was bluffing and they increased my contract by, you know, I can't remember how much it was, but almost laughable at that point. 
Um, it was insulting really. And I walked out of the meeting and I said, no, I'm done with that. I'm not, I, I felt disrespected and um, hadn't made a decision yet. But then literally within days, Ross left. And I was like, what the, what the hell is going on? And so I hadn't decided any, any way or, or the other way. And so um, when that happened, I was like, gee, what's happening? My head was spinning and, um, and then within a couple of days, Ross rang me and he's like, um, have you um, made a decision yet? Because they've been asking me about you. And once that happened and I had a conversation with him and he was like, you know, we could you know, do something special over here and, um, you know, I've got faith in you and blah, blah, blah. It was just like, that's, he gave me my first, showed belief in me and he was kind of like the guy that reignited that fire in me. And so it was very hard to not go, um, and follow when I knew that that's what I was going to be getting when I got there. Um, when it was Scott Waters that was uh, just been hired, I think it was at that time. And yeah, that was yeah, it was it was it was very tough because I I built great relationships with my my teammates. Um, I still love them to this day, and so it was a very hard call. And I just met my my wife now. Um, we'd met nine months earlier, so it meant that I was going to have to leave. Melbourne and my family and it wasn't an easy decision but um you know after probably a month you know of, of really dwelling on it and thinking about it that yeah, I made the call to go Zach last one for me is it's a bit of a two-parter before we let you go but you've spoken previously in in media and interviews and stuff about uh mental health and and the effect that you're know, being out in public and, and at events and you know nightclubs or bars mm. pubs whatever can have on you and and the effect that that has on your family and friends and and other footballers etc et um is there a message that you've got as, as someone who's kind of been through the darkest of of that and the worst of that that you you want to um i guess tell the, the footy public and secondly um what do you want the, the footy community to, to know about you about zach dawson and, and how do you want to be remembered um by saints fans um, well, I'll answer the, the last question first, um, how I want to be remembered. Um, I just want to be remembered as someone that, that gave everything, that um, was limited in my ability, but I gave everything in terms of heart and effort um, to make up for that. Um, I was selfless as a player, um, was more than willing to give up my own game to benefit my teammates. Um, and that more than anything is something I want to be remembered for, especially within my, my teammates group um, <clears throat> is just being a great teammate. And that, and that was my mantra. My whole career is, is to be a great teammate. Um, and it, I got to my final year at, at, at Fremantle when I won the best clubman. Um, and that was one of my prouder moments in my career because I knew that the time and effort I was putting in with my teammates, it was being um, acknowledged um, and especially even the administration staff, and, the, and because that was something I always did, and whether it was at St Kilda, Hawthorne, Frio, I'd always give time to every single person, and um, that's probably what, how I'd want to be remembered as someone that's a great team man and a great team person, and um, someone that would want to be in welcomed in any locker room, um, and and that's how I felt even coming back to St Kilda games um, in the last couple of years, I've felt welcomed because. I felt like I put in a lot of effort in terms of um, my relationships with the club. So um, that's something that I really pride myself on. And still to, to this day, like it, 
in business, in, in life, um, in uni, like relationships is something I always will, will focus on um, and having genuine relationships that way. Um, and in terms of the mental health side of things, um, it, it, it's looking back on it, it was a very, it's very lucky that I think I came out the other side. Um, I think if I didn't go back into footy um, and I always, always was carrying around the, the stigma that Anthony Rocker um, getting belted up as a young kid and blah, blah, blah. And I never had a chance to change that perception um, and, and change my own belief in my own, in myself. Um, who knows where my life would have gone? And, that, and that's the real worry um, with the mental health side of things that I wasn't willing to ask for help. I wasn't willing to, I thought I could deal with it. I didn't want to worry my parents. I didn't want to worry my friends. So I kind of bottled it all up um, and it, it, it probably wasn't till the, the back end of my career where I started talking about things and, and um, that you really understand that the enormity of, of um, how serious things get and how, serious, how seriously bad things could have gone um, if I didn't get myself into a better headspace. Um, because, yeah, it is damaging. It, like living your life um, and people, all they see is um, your super coach points or all they see is um, someone's kicked eight goals on you in your third game and, they think you're, you know, they, they talk about people will insult your family. They'll get on your Facebook and they'll send you disgraceful messages about your kids. And they think that, that this is all right. And it's all based on a game of footy. They don't know me as a person. They don't know me, you know, the relationship, as you said, like how proud I am of the relationships I have with most people that I interact with. Um, that's more important to me than anything. So I got myself to a point at the end of my career where the people that were giving this, crap to me I almost felt sorry for them more than um I got angry I was like because I would always think well what's going on in your life for you to be sitting there on your keyboard or sitting there at the ground heckling me um and so I would turn it around and rather than be angry and be and be upset I'd be like well I'd almost feel sorry for them and go I wonder what's happening in their life you know because things must be pretty bad if that's the if that's how they're getting gratification um then that's quite sad and so for for young players and and that would be my one bit of advice is that it's how you take that hate and how you take the the haters and and what they're saying if you take it personally it's going to weigh you down eventually but if you turn that into you know motivation or you turn it into you're feeling sorry for these people and and kind of not letting it um, get to you. I think that's that was the biggest thing for me to be able to move forward and not not kind of dwell on the past. Very good answer, and it's uh, been great to, to spend some time with you this evening, Zach. Uh, we appreciate you jumping on. You played some terrific footy for the, the Saints. I think it was a great story of uh, redemption for the club and redemption for yourself, and obviously you went on to continue to have a fine career. So good luck with uh, whatever does happen next, and, and thanks very much for being our latest guest. No, absolute pleasure. Anytime. Zach Dawson there uh, speaking to us about uh, his three-club career that needed 166 AFL games, played in four grand finals as well over that period of time. So a grand final every 40-odd games across his career. Um, we look ahead to Collingwood. Uh, I'm sick of losing to them, um, particularly given they haven't been much good for 
parts of that period. We, we beat them in 16 and 17, but they're the only two wins we've had against them since round three, 2010. So it's been a pretty frustrating old uh, old time. They belted us last year in just about our only shocker of the, the 2020 season. Belted us in 2019 when I think we were in front at three-quarter time and lost by nine goals or something like that. Um, so it'd be nice to, to get one over them. Robert Harvey coaching them. Obviously, we, we certainly, um, it does create mixed feelings around watching Collingwood play. And last week, I actually half wanted them to beat Fremantle for, uh, for Harvey only, um, which was a difficult position to be in. It didn't, didn't work out that way for them, but no Darcy Moore for Collingwood, no Jeremy Howe. So their defense is a little bit restricted. Dugowie didn't play last week, but he's, he wasn't listed on their injury list from, from last week. I haven't seen this week, so I don't know what the situation is around him. We look like we'll get Billings back. We lose Caulfield for at least a month uh, with that hammy. Um, apart from that, Zach Jones, I think, still another week or so away. So the, the changes you would think would be um, Billings, maybe by Tallow. I think his 12-day thing would still apply. Um, so we'll just see what, what happens from there. But, yeah, I guess fundamentally I, um, I'm fed up with losing to Collingwood, and it's probably about time that changed. On paper, it should when you think about it. And- and form at the moment it's it's that they've got to a point where i think they've really dropped away and i think i'm not sure halves is going to be a little bit of experimenting to show what he's got in ideas and to sort of build his resume up a little bit and say well I, this is the sort of things i tried when the team was down and out and about and that sort of thing so that's where you kind of got to look and go if they're trying things that's where we've got to try and step up and play our proper game and beat the team who's struggling um problem being that they're a team that when they're on their day they they can really put you to sword and yeah turn a game their way very quickly so getting similar sort of um i guess situation to richmond that first usage is going to be the key getting beating pendlebury beating side bottom not not giving them the ball in the middle that they love to have quite often they, they they move the ball through the middle of the ground very smoothly. And if we stop them there, make them have to kick wide. That's where you can get on top of them. Cause as, as we're saying, they're missing a few of their tools. They're missing some other players that really structure them up. Um, so really having a look at those holes that they've got at the moment and exploiting them, that that's where we've really got to look at them and beat them at. So very much a winnable game on paper, but we have to be on our game again for four quarters. Spot on, spot on. I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. That we've, we've got to do the same thing that we did against Richmond. We've got to win the ball and get first hands on the ball and, and deliver it cleanly because uh, we know that Collingwood have enough talent, regardless of whether they're out of form or, or not. They have enough talent to win games of football uh, and, and they, they do that. They do it against us. And like you said, Parker, they don't have to play good footy for three quarters, but all they have to do is do it for 30 minutes or 25 minutes and, and they can put you to the sword. Um, they've, they've got enough talent to do that without having to play good footy for you know, a full game. Um, so a lot of this, I think, comes down to, to Ryder and, and Marshall against Grundy. Um, and, and you just don't know, you don't know what Collingwood you're going to get. Like, like H said, are they experimenting? Are they trying to win games of footy at the moment? You, you know Robert Harvey's trying to win games of football. He doesn't know any other, other way to coach. But in terms of you know, selection committee, in terms of the way that they're building their club at the moment, yeah, there were some real strange decisions at, at the selection table last week. They brought Mason Cox back in, who hasn't been banging the door down in the VFL. 
um, or, or you know, in the twos or, or at training reportedly either. So they went in tall last week, which was a bit, a bit surprising. Um, and you, you just don't know what Collingwood you're going to get. So if we, if we put in four quarters of solid football again and solid effort like we did last Friday night, then that goes a, a huge way to winning this game of footy. Collingwood generally defend their, their defensive numbers are pretty good. Their, their midfield gets a lot of the ball, but they're, they're not always great by foot and they don't score that heavily. Um, but they don't get flogged either. They're a pretty competitive side. They nag away at you a, a little bit. Um, if you look at their record this year, I, I sense their, their biggest losing margin would have been five goals, maybe. Um, so they're, they're generally right there. It's just whether they have enough polish to beat you or not. And, and I'm hoping the difference is we have a couple more avenues to go. We've got a little bit more polish when the ball goes inside 50. And maybe we're slightly cleaner on the outside with guys like Sinclair and, and Billings, if he plays, and and those sorts of guys, maybe to, to sort of prove the difference. And obviously Darcy Moore and Jeremy Howe generally take a stack of intercept marks. Neither of them are there. Hopefully that just allows us to isolate them a little bit and, and sort of chip away. I mean, mathematically, the season's still alive. I don't think we've seen evidence that we're a top eight side by any means. It's just more, we can't look to that level. It's just a case of, well, against Richmond, you've got four quarters of committed footy. You saw what happens when you do that. You've got to do that every week, whether you're playing Richmond, Collingwood, the Gold Coast or Melbourne. You've just got to be able to pull that out all the time as a, as a non-negotiable. And that's even one of the things that Grant Thomas spoke about, the repetitive actions that are uh, easy and repeatable and don't require huge amounts of skill. So this is another step. So you've had a good result. You've, you've put your, your name back up saying, no, no, no we, we've, we're okay if we get it right. But it doesn't mean anything if you don't do it time and time again. So, um, yeah, we've got to get back to work and, and work on knocking off. You can beat Richmond and Collingwood in the same fortnight, and that's a, a pretty good couple of weeks. So if we could do that and set our sights on a, a tough game against Brisbane, which is currently scheduled for the gap, but we do know at this point in time that anything is possible. We might actually strike it lucky and not get them at the gap, or we might get them at Ballarat or something uh, the following week. So um, anything's anything's possible. So we'll uh, we'll take on Collingwood. We're, there are fans there. We, we obviously feel thankful for that blessing at the moment, given uh, all 18 sides are in Victoria and uh, we touch wood that, uh, that everything sorts itself out. But... Fingers crossed we can roll the pies. If you go along Sunday, enjoy. Um, if you're, you're watching or, or listening around it, go Saints, and, and hopefully we can celebrate another one next week. <laughs>